you did the best you could at that time and you are taking it so seriously that you're now your mission is to heal the journey towards recovery is not a linear or even automatic process but rather one that involves making choices and taking action to move towards a more positive state of being accountability doesn't need to include unhelpful guilt or shame it really is just becoming more actively engaged in your journey instead of being passive and letting things unfold in a more random or unpredictable way. In the context of quantum mechanics, collapsing the wave function brings about a specific outcome from a range of possible outcomes. Similarly, someone who has undergone a recovery journey may see it as a process of choosing a specific path from many possible paths towards healing and growth. There is not a formula for recovery that works for everyone. And I had the pleasure of speaking with my buddy Scott, who's been kind enough to share with me the ways in which he's been able to break old patterns and manage his mental health conditions a lot better. If you're ready, let's have a look at how Scott truly is collapsing the wave function. Quiet, not silent. to bring on today because he is he has done a lot on his recovery journey he has a lot to say there's a completely different perspective that scott can offer that uh, i think a lot of people are going to want to hear it thank you um and it's great to talk to you again so it's i've been alive for 47 years there's been a lot that's happened in that time and the the journey uh, for me in recovery actually started in 2009. Um, my story is I have borderline personality disorder and PTSD. So I describe it as CPTSD, but you know, it's obviously not a clinical term that is used, but my psychologist and I both agree that, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I didn't always know that that's what I had. And in 2009, I knew that um, the emotional issues that I was having were out of my control, that this wasn't something that I could will my way through and find a discipline to, to overcome. It just wasn't happening. And I knew at that moment that I needed help. And like, I had a good model. My mother was in therapy. Um, she had mental health issues. She had uh, been diagnosed with schizoid effect or schizoid, schizoaffective disorder. And so she was in therapy, was on medication and had made a complete recovery. And so I, at least I had that kind of model in my life in front of me. And our family struggled for many years. My father was an alcoholic and, um, I all now in hindsight, see symptoms of BPD in his behavior. Um, so anyway, back to that. Um, I, in 2009, I realized that I needed help and I began my therapy at the local county mental health organization. Um, 
and I was seeing a social worker who was also a, a therapist. Um, it was interesting. It was for the first time I actually was able to start talking about the things that I was going through um, and realize that, you know, there, there's clear descriptions of what it is and why it's happening. And so now at that level, it was, um, you know, nothing like the therapy that I do now with a behavioral psychologist. Like it was still valuable in having someone to talk to, but also missing, missing a great deal of like insight and um, understanding of what was actually happening. So I got moved around between a couple of therapists in the local county mental health organization. And um, I had some interesting experiences. Um, I definitely did not have some great therapists along the way. When I got a job at healthcare, I got um, an actual therapist, like a psychologist, but it, it, he didn't like specialize. He was just sort of, you know, or at least if he had a specialty, we didn't discuss it. Um, okay. I kind of just interviewed with him and told him about my symptoms and what I go through and not really even understanding that it was BPD or PTSD, like no understanding of that. Just like, I have an issue controlling my emotions. I get overwhelmed with emotions. I am highly irritable and angry at times. And I don't know how I got there. I seem to check out and I'm unable to move when I get triggered, my whole body sets off like an alarm system. And then I end up having to like be on the couch or in my bed for days. Like, I don't know what any of this is. And so he wasn't, he wasn't um, looking to identify anything and label it and diagnose it yet. It was just like, let's deal with the thing, which um, ultimately is a little better, but not very, you know, like not really making change. Um, and then a number of years went by and I kind of was like, okay, I'm sort of still just doing this on my own anyway. Like, yes, these sessions are a little bit helpful, but, you know, I was like, just sort of doing the best that I could, um, but still being completely ruled by the roller coaster of um, triggers, somatic experiences, body, you know, nervous system activation, constant influx of cortisol and adrenaline and it's just like that there's no winning against that if you don't know how to control and like i've um mostly relied on weed um that was kind of like that was my go-to for relaxation and like calming my nervous system down and but i i got on medication in 2011 and then that changed everything. So I started taking venlafloxine and lamotrigine, venlafloxine, uh, SNRI. Um, yeah, so, and it helps with anxiety as well as antidepressant. And for me, it like was a perfect match. So that combined with lamotrigine, the mood stabilizer, or lamictal, which I took this, the generic, those two together are were great. And it was such a dramatic change in like just the energy that I was walking around with every day in my body. Um, for the first time, like really starting to feel those like, uh, lifts, like depression for me was very heavy in the body. Um, very heavy. And the severe depression I first got like in, I was 12 or 13. Now I know it's like, oh, teenagers get depressed, but no, it, this is a totally different thing. It's like this. Yeah. I actually ended up like 
for two years, I think straight was like really unable to function during the day. Um, I used to be have insomnia and be up all night long. Um, a lot of nights I'd be up till four or five in the morning um, and end up sleeping all day. And I ended up dropping out of high school because of that. Got my GED. I just was non at the, between the years of thirteen and like eighteen. I was almost unfunctioning, like completely non-functional. Um, and so I actually like did go back go to college after getting my GD. Like I got back on track when I hit 19 or 20, I had some very important people in my life, like um, step in and sort of like, you know, there's those people that just really um, hit you in a new way and kind of give you a new direction, a new insight into your life. And so things started to move and I found some interest, but. I want to ask you about that support system and those people. The support system is so important. Can you maybe tell me about them? There was one person in particular, this was uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, Stephanie, she, she's like what I would consider to be a light worker. You know, she's one of those people that saw, saw something in me that I did not see, like in any way, shape or form. At that point in my life, I had a very low self esteem and just a, a really horrible perspective on who I was and she saw the act the the exact opposite and let me know that and and for the first time I was just like it was really struck me as like man I don't even even believe this you know but anyway so we became very close and she really pulled out of me like through a lot of deep discussion like what do you really want to do with your life like what do you what is it because I was so like depressed and she knew that because I didn't have a direction and she, you know I was like at one day I was just like you know what I have I, I'm I have dreams of like being an actor like I want to do theater I want to I want to study acting because um I, I don't know what it is I just have this drive and she like pushed me and pushed me and like kept encouraging me to get into that and and so I ended up, she, she was like, I'm driving you to this audition this, for this movie that's filming at Marist College here in Poughkeepsie, or there in Poughkeepsie. I don't live there anymore. Um, and I got into this movie, I had a small part, like I think it was five lines or something like that in this one scene. <laughs> and it was filming in like um, right outside the city in Westchester County. But anyway, that was like, I, I was like on another planet. Like I didn't even know, like, I was like, oh man, it just, it snapped me out of the, the real depths of like, I don't know where my life is going. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I like. I don't know what I want to do, but I did. I just, the depression and just all those heavy negative thoughts were just keeping that buried. And then like she, you know, through our time together, like she brought all of that creativity out of me. And then I, then I auditioned, uh, she, it's not such a happy story because she actually passed a brain cancer in 1998 at the age of 24. That's so sad. Yeah. And, um, she, and then after that, that next year I auditioned for theater school and got into the program and then got my degree in theater and ended up, you know, like doing everything that I had dreamed of doing, uh, just five, six years before and it's just amazing and she's come back to me in dreams um over the course of the last 20 years like and very vivid dreams too like there was the first one i ever had i'm sorry if this is going off on a tangent but this is like to me no this no still... i'm like literally gonna cry 
I'm literally gonna cry. Okay. Oh my god. This stuff to me literally she sounds is still, so special. Yeah, and it still boggles my mind kind of that it's happened. But the first dream I had, I think I was like maybe in my mid thirties, so like maybe twelve years ago. And I'm climbing this mountain, and it's like I I, don't, I couldn't tell you where it was, but it, it's like it's something in a movie. It's like one of those things where it's like, and there was a bunch of people. There was like maybe twenty other people all around in different groups, like making their way up and. It's not like we were rock climbers, but we were like, you had to put your hands down to get up this wall. And out of nowhere, I'm like passing this person. And then it's, I turn to look and it's her and she's like, hey, what's up? And I'm just like, and I was like in shock in my dream felt completely like, how is this possible? How, and I kept asking, how are you here? And she was like, I'll tell you in a minute. Let's, let's go, let's go up, follow me. And then we make it all the way up to the rest of the top. And then it's like this big, huge cave, but it's like, has lights in it. It's like lit up. It's like, it's kind of lit like your your room. It's kind of like, it's got this nice amber lighting around. And, and, and we just start talking. And I'm like, I missed you so much. I can't even tell you how much I wish you were here right now. And she was like, I know, I know. I miss you too. It's, it's okay. She's like, and I'm like, how are you here? She's like, don't worry, I'm here. That's all that matters. And and then I woke up and then I woke up. And so I was just like, oh man, I wanted to finish that conversation so bad. And then in 2019 on the, um, the night before Valentine's Day, I had a dream about her. We were in our, uh, in Poughkeepsie where, we, where I met her in Poughkeepsie, New York. And we were out, I was, I was out with a handful of people in these local bars and we went from one bar to another. And as we were walking over to this other bar, I noticed this person with blonde hair and I'm just like, huh, do I know? Wait a minute. And then we get into the bar and I walk by and, and she's at the standing table and then I turn around and I'm, and she's looking at me and she's just like, and I walked over there. I'm like, oh my God. And it was almost the same conversation at first. How are you here? What are you doing here? She's And she's like, it's really good to see you. And I'm like, you will not believe the things that have happened in my life. And she's like, I I, I know. And I can't wait you just to show you what else is going to happen in the future. And I was just like, so how have you been? And, you know, and it was this very real conversation, like back and forth. And she told me she's doing great and that um, she is in my life and that she's really excited to, to, she's really excited for me. I think it was really excited for me to see everything that's going to happen. And, and then again, um, woke up and that was, that was kind of it, but it always struck me because they were so vivid. Like I, it's, it wasn't a dream about her. It, I definitely view that as like, you know, a visit. That is absolutely a visit. Yeah. Oh my God she has been following you on your journey yes and she has been a part of your healing journey for so long and she's going to be here the whole time right and it was it was hard to lose her but she actually touched so many people like there's a lot of us who walk you know who after knowing her and after she passed all moved on to do the the things that they had dreamed of and they and have all gone on to like tap into whatever she brought out of them 
it's amazing. I've had conversations with like her ex, her other boyfriend before me, and he's a really great guy. He's like, yeah, I, I don't know what I would have done without her. I'm doing this thing. I have my own business now. I'm doing art. I'm doing design work and, and textiles and stuff. And it's like, you know, I, it, it was just really, she was a special person to a lot of people. And incredible. So like, I, that's a, that's one of those moments where it was a turning point for me. Um, but the support system, like I, I, I had a good group of friends and it's not like we talked about, um, mental health issues. Right. I mean, it's, that's not what the kind of was, but we had a tight group of friends who just like had each other's back. You know what I mean? And like being, you know, being able to have a group of people to hang out with was really important because most of the time I felt isolated and alone. So, I mean, you know, I had really good friends. Um, and I still, to this day, uh, keep in touch with a handful of them from all the way back uh, when I was a kid growing up. Just a, just a handful of them, though. Um, today, it's today it's a lot different, though. The support system today, my, you know, well, obviously, those friends that I've had for a long time, like, those bonds are so deep. And the conversations are a lot more real these days you know what i mean like it's you know um guys in general i think especially when i was growing up don't everybody is like masking everything like everybody everybody is masking everything the pressure to appear perfect and and put together and so collected there's just so much pressure i mean and, and like where I grew up and the kinds of guys that I grew up around, there was a, a, there was a lot of like, you know, busting people's ass if they did anything that made them look weak. You know what I mean? And it was done yeah. in fun, like fun, you know, but really there were times when like, you know, like dudes are pretty hard on each other and it gets ridiculous. So it makes, it makes for like very little room for those kinds of like, you know, Hey man, I'm going through this like that. That never happened. But now it does with all my guy friends today. Like we can, you know, it's, and it's nice. It's, it's something that you, I think guys really have to be shown. It's okay to do by other guys. And that, that's like not something that happens until you've had some real breakthroughs and you've had some real stuff happen to you and you you understand what it's like and where it doesn't make any sense anymore to keep keep it in and to mask it like you just have to talk about it so when you're with your guy friends like you mentioned you don't always talk about mental health but when you when you are going through it like, how do you, how do you reach out to them or how, how do they reach out to you? Or like, how do you confide in each other? What does that look like? If I know I need to connect with somebody, like I, I won't be like, Hey, I'm going through this thing. I'll just be like, I'll check in with them to see how they're doing first to start the conversation. <laughs> That's just like, Hey man, what's going on? How are you? What's going on? Everything good? How's so-and-so what's going on with this? Just to start the conversation and like, um, and then eventually I'll, I'll just go into it be like, yeah, this is going on, you know, and um, especially when I was depressed, I went through to finish that earlier conversation. I went through a depression starting in August. Um, 
throughout last year, I was off medication and I was doing pretty well, feeling pretty good, feeling pretty free from like, oh, I'm being myself now. I quit drinking also. But depression started to creep back in, creep back in. Then around August, September, October, November, it was really bad. I started medication in the beginning of November again. Um, so I was talking to people actively during that period, like, you know, making sure I knew that I had to. It's one of those things now where I'm like, okay, this is depression. This is, we know what this is. We know we need to stay connected with other people and not just sit here and completely isolate and shut down. So that's kind of like the first thought that I had was like, oh, I have to do this. I have to reach out. Um, and don't think that you're a burden. Don't think that other people don't want to hear it because those thoughts are what usually cloud the judgment. Yeah, that's a BPD brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nobody wants to fucking talk to you. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to talk to you. Don't. You're just going to bum people out. Why do you want to bum people out? But no, that's not true. All my friends are like, oh man, I'm so glad you got in touch with me. You know? And and they're, it's like you know it's overwhelming how ready they are to like what's going on man all right just talk to me you know you can let me know anytime and get a hold of me anytime like that we're at, we're at that point now it's like everybody you know we all understand how important it is right when especially now because everybody's in their mid 40s and like connections do sort of go away as you get older like they do like the friend group like everybody that where I grew up, there was, you know, huge get togethers. There's like, you know, like big friend groups. And like, when you get, you know, a little bit older, it's like the, most of the strong connections, um, at least for me, uh, are now a small, a much smaller circle, but anyway, um, and it, with the, having those regular conversations, I have, I have one friend still, um, we hadn't talked to each other for like six or seven years um we met studying theater together we've been friends for over 20 years but uh, around 2015 he sort of kind of just went off and went to new mexico and did all his own thing and like we lost contact so when i was in the middle of the depression i was like i wonder what he's up to and i just texted him like hey is this still your phone number and he was like you know who is this oh my god what are you doing oh my god and then coming to realize that we've had a lot of parallel experiences um over the course of the last seven years like different um life challenge like different but like very similar life challenges like losing a parent losing pets having toxic relationships that have blown up in our faces like you know dealing with and it was it was kind of amazing how how parallel things were so and so we talk like twice a week sometimes three times a week just checking in talking and it's like you know, lots of discovery going on. And that's a great thing too. Um, reconnecting with people you like haven't talked to in so long and you get to a point where you're like, oh, I don't want to talk to me anymore. And then I was like, no, no. One of the lessons that I've learned over the course of my therapy is opposite action usually is the better choice. Like whenever your BPD mind is telling you that something isn't worth it because, you know, you don't hold value in that scenario anymore or whatever it is. When it's like, that's an immediate, like ignoring that and doing the thing that it's telling me not to do. And that was the best decision I made. So, so yeah. So now like we have just regular check-ins, like, couple times a week and usually we end up talking for like two hours at least you know it's it's um it's it's so nice like it's it's not something you know we were friends for a long time but we never it was never like this you know we didn't like continually like 
keep each other up and keep each other going. It's like, even though I'm not struggling with depression right now, um, you know, there's now it's just like, all right, how do we maintain this? Like, what do we, you know, and we're now we're, you know, just talking about like getting back into talking about what's exciting about our lives and like where we're going tomorrow and stuff like that. So, um, but without that, you know, that isolation and, and refusing to, to reach out to people. Um, I've been there before too. And that always just, it makes it so much worse, especially for me, like so much worse. Um, like I've been incapacitated during periods of depression before. It's just amazing how difficult it is to do absolutely anything, like literally anything. I was kind of surprised to see it come back so strong this, this year, this last year. Um, but I understand what it was like being off of medication and having some difficult emotional things happen. Um, yeah, you've been through really a lot. triggered it. Yeah. Like, and it was, it was set off and, and it got really bad when I lost my cat at 15 years. That was a big one. And so I realized after going back into sessions every two weeks, because I'd sort of been only going every month, month and a half for a little while, um, that I was dealing with complicated grief, um, which I had never heard about. And it's essentially I, what I realized is that all the pain and loss that I've experienced going back, I mean, you could really say going back through my entire life, but especially in the last, let's say like eight years, um, since my dad died and my mom died, that stuff, even though I had been working with my behavioral psychologist very diligently, even though I'd gone through a year of DBT training in a group course in, and I've done all of the deep work, I was still that a lot of that grief was unprocessed still, mm. it just wasn't processed. And so doing, um, exercises around letting that stuff come up. And I was really only able to do it effectively after the medication started working again. Um, now it's a lot of daily exercises around, like I'll, I'll let the, the emotions started to come up really a, just like a waterfall and not in a bad way. Like I'm processing them. Like I'm so I, I know I have to go through this and I'm going to let my mind go completely there and, and be fully in the present moment of whatever that pain is that I'm processing in that moment. Sometimes it's my parents, sometimes it's animals, sometimes it's loss of time and damage due to traumatic relationships, whatever it is, I let it come rather than trying to push it down, which is something I did for a long time in different ways. Compared to like cleaning out a drain in your bathtub, like you're, you gotta get the shit out of there, but it, the only way you're going to get all of the shit and clean it out so that everything works better, you gotta get your hands dirty and just pull all of that shit out. And when you pull it out, like, I don't know about you, but when I pull that shit out of the drain, I look at it. That's probably the most important part of it, actually, that gets the healing to actually start happening is being able to look at it and and also at the same time learning how to not judge like that's the big one especially for bpd or yes. bpd years the judgment is to me it will come in like a hammer to the face and it usually and then it the healing is sort of just stunted and that's why i think i had so much unprocessed grief still so but yes i 
I spent a lot of time visualizing in, in the, the, the darker worker, what people call the shadow work is like looking at the moments where I, my behavior was toxic also. And like, and when I was really acting in ways that I are the reasons why I needed to go get help in therapy in the first place. Cause I knew I was dealing with something that was not just unbearable, but also unacceptable. Like, the 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 visualizing of that stuff also helps lessen the judgment part because you you start like it's just embracing yourself as a human being right and forgiveness and actually forgiving yourself and accepting that if you could do any better you would have um you did the best that you could and like i i understand that that's kind of a cliche but it's like sometimes the simplest things are actually true it's you did the best you could at that time and you are taking it so seriously that you're now your mission is to heal because you don't want to not just feel those things and it's not just about me feeling not feeling these things anymore and not experiencing it's about Oh, I, I want to, I want to present the best version of myself to the world. And the only way I do that is through this. Yeah. Accountability doesn't have to have shame. And a lot of it is self is self forgiveness. This disorder for me had a lot of guilt and shame. Um, a lot of guilt and shame. Like I mentioned to you earlier that like, I can tie the, the manifestation of behaviors and symptoms in in my BPD with like very explicit stuff that happened in the past. And like I, the shame and the guilt is one of the clearest ones. And often it's the most difficult part, I think of the symptom of this disorder to sort of heal from shame, guilt, and like the feelings of chronic emptiness and low self-esteem sort of, and I had this uh, conversation with my psychologist sort of are the last ones to, to, to release for a lot of people. Um, like it was, I had control over the emotional roller coaster for a while now. And like the irritability and the anger specifically, which are very hard to control. Mm -hmm. um, those things, those symptoms have been in remission for a while. The shame and the guilt hung on until yeah. just, until really until I got back on the medication. Um, like it had, it had been away on vacation for previous times in my life but it's still there. It's still unhealed, unprocessed. So yeah, the shame and the guilt is tied back to like me being really shamed of, um, I was walking home from the school bus one day. And I think I was seven years old. I think I was in second grade and I could hear my parents yelling uh, in the development where we lived, like from, you know, like way down the road. And I realized in that moment that everybody in the neighborhood could hear. And I remember the horrifying shame that came over me at that moment. And like that stuff is at the foundation of the injury, which kind of made my shame and guilt cycle. Um, I, just like an abyss of despair. Yeah. Um, and so he, healing that went through forgiveness and being able to just like radically accept that these things happen, like they happen. What do you do right now? You know, and it's okay to forgive yourself. Like it's not a cop out. It's okay. It's actually necessary for healing. Like you really need to do it. 
Yeah, you, you know what? That's a great way to put it. Is it, It's not a cop-out. Because there are a lot of ways people cop out. But part of taking accountability for the ways that you've coped in the past doesn't have to be mm-hmm. like, well, you know, I was shitty in the past and I need to take accountability. It's not that. It's recognizing, hey, I didn't know any better. I did the best I could. And now that I know better... The thing is, like, the things that have happened in the past, they're really not a reflection of the person I am right now. They're not, no. Um, Though, I have had the conversation in that earlier tone of voice. Like, that was shitty that you did that. That was, though. You know, like, I've... I I, have, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know if this is common for everybody with BPD, but the people that I know and speak to seem to share this, but the inner voice for me was like a drill sergeant. It was, it was like at times brutal. Um, and even in moments where I was utilizing it to motivate myself, like I would adopt the tone of voice, you know, the like, you do not get a, you do not get a fucking break. No, you know, like, and there, I, you know, I'm not saying that that is a healthy way to do it, but in, in certain moments, it was okay. It was, it was okay for me to take that tone with myself. And I know like it goes against sort of the idea that you need to be very kind to yourself, which is also true, but I will just say that for me and for some other people, I know that like being hard on yourself um, can actually be a positive. It can be effective in certain circumstances. Not in the way that negative intrusive thoughts will come in and just bury you like that. I'm just saying if you can, you know. Yeah, you can be firm with yourself. You can be assertive with yourself. You can have that kind of inner voice. And I think that's a good motivator. Like for me, sometimes it's just joking. Like if I'm, I've been in bed all day because I'm not feeling great but I know I need to get something done or I, or I haven't taken a shower in a while because I'm in a depressive episode. Like, I remember looking in the mirror and being like, wow, what does that smell? Is that me? Wow, you smell that's like me. shit. You need to take a shower right now, John. <laughs> okay. Like, and that's that's do, fine. You know, does that make you chuckle, though? Does that kind of like... Yeah, it's more just like... It's not like, wow, you smell like shit. You're a disgusting human being and you need to be better it's not it's not like that it's more just like wow you smell like crap all right let's let's maybe take a shower yes i i was so incapacitated again um i had to take two weeks off from work i i I literally was like i'm going through something right now and the great thing is is that with my colleagues um i was very honest with them i was like I have diabetes. You guys know that. And, um, if I had a major health issue with my diabetes and I had to take time off, I would tell you, and I said, well, I have another health condition, um, PTSD, and I'm in a, a really, I'm in a place right now where I need medical help. So I'm going to have to do, and they were, it was so supportive. So great. Um, my other teammate was like, messaged me privately. and was like, listen, just so you know, you're not alone. I too have anxiety, depression, and PTSD. I just want you to know that I'm here if you want to talk about it. I was just like, wow. Okay. It was, it was great, but um, yeah, incapacitated sleeping 12 hours a day, um, not wanting to get up. Just, it was just nothing, not wanting to cook, not wanting to get out of bed, even like I barely get out of bed and so exhausted. I think it, it felt a lot like burnout, not just depression, but also burnout. 
it was it was interesting though like that level of depression i hadn't experienced for a long long time like a really long time and you know part of the processing now that's coming up again is like well how how is it that I'm struggling so much now after seven and a half years of therapy with a behavioral psychologist doing all the DBT work, doing all the deeper meditation and spiritual, like what I call spiritual work, like um, taking the concept of mindfulness a couple of steps further into the awareness and observation you can have within your, the hierarchy of your psyche, so to speak what is that and like i've come to define my connection to the observation that i have outside of my personality and behaviors uh to be uh, like that's another thing one of the most important parts of the healing process because that having that ultimate like awareness um is so key to being able to see what's actually going on and getting yourself out of your emotional uh mind that is something that I didn't really knew existed. I mean, I'm sure that I did, you know, like in some way, but like um, those first mindfulness exercises where you're observing thoughts and emotions and feelings and sensations, even in your body as things happen and being fully present is I, I started to realize like, oh, so what happens when I get triggered and go into emotional mind? I'm actually not here. I'm in another place. Like my mind is thinking according to old all of whatever the trauma has like solidified in the subconscious, like it's operating from this old uh, system, right? And you're not, you're here just reacting to emotional stimulus. You know, it's like, um, what, once I made that realization, I was like, wow, okay. Now the exercises to build that muscle up have to start. And so that's, it was a slow thing. Like healing from this takes a long time. And like, nowhere in the future do i see a sign that says healing is here like there's no destination point like i'm not healed you know it's like i had a session just the other night on on wednesday and we were talking about like how you know she constantly reminds me of how much progress you you do recognize the progress that you've made right like you you when you have these moments you know we were talking about my depression and she keeps reminding me like the things that I've accomplished in therapy with her and in just life in general. And it's, um, it's important to recognize the wins along the way too. Like really, even the small ones, like getting out of bed, like when you're in a depressive episode, like recognize yourself for the thing that you just did, because in this moment you're carrying bricks on your back. Yeah. It's an accomplishment to get out of bed and like get a glass of water. And you're like swimming against the current when when this stuff is happening in your brain, right? Like, you know, when you're coping with BPD, when you're coping with depression, when you're coping with PTSD, I have all of these things as well. You're swimming against the current, whereas, whereas people who don't have these disorders, they're swimming normally. They're swimming with the current. Yes. You know? With so, the flow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you're going to need to take breaks and be nice to yourself when you're swimming against the current. Yeah. So the, the physical um, damage, I would say damage that gets done from living in a state of fight or flight, having all the adrenaline and cortisol day after day is significant. So the fact that your body needs rest, your mind needs to shut down 
is a normal consequence of that condition. It is, there's nothing abnormal about it. There's nothing abnormal about your body and your mind needing those breakpoints when the circuitry is overloaded with current. It's like, I, I often use the analogy that like when I was triggered and in a heightened state of arousal, it's like having an extra 10,000 volts hooked up to you. Yeah. And I always felt completely overtaken by um, adrenaline and cortisol. Um, I didn't have severe anxiety until later on in life though, especially after the narcissistic abuse. Um, then I started getting panic attacks um, I also lost my mom during that relationship too early on um, and that that probably can but panic attacks and severe anxiety started like you know not too long after that and there was at one point where I was like getting pangs of adrenaline at like four in the morning five in the morning six in the morning and just like tasting it like it's just like you know it was uh, like deep meditation has been a, a, a real big part of me calming the nervous system and being able to find that baseline, that grounding um, takes a lot of practice. Like, you know, a lot of people struggle with meditation and they feel like they can't get it right. And there is no getting it right. There's just keep trying to return to the center. Like that's it all. It's an exercise every single time you do it. And like anything else, you'll get better the more you do it. Um, and and that comes from someone who has BPD, PTSD, and even symptoms of ADHD too. Like it's a nice little overlapping bundle, I find. Um, so medication was really hard at first. Medication. Meditation was really hard at first. <laughs> and a lot of practice, daily practice, is now paying off. Like your your my nervous system has gotten to the point where baseline is what I would consider to be like, quote unquote, normal. You know what I mean? Like I'm not living in a state of arousal ever. Like I'm, I'm pretty chill and laid back. And that's the way my default energy is pretty much every day. Um, triggers happen. Uh, like I'm not really triggered by things, you know, like I, I don't have, the physical reactions, my body, my nervous system doesn't get activated. Um, it has like, don't get me wrong at times, but like over the last six months, let's say I've been in the most stable, consistent baseline of bodily energy that I've ever had, which is um, like, amazing <laughs> it's amazing yeah, that's incredible it sounds like you made a lot of progress it sounds like your journey has not been linear either and that is super oh, normal. Gosh, no no so many backslides so many like face plants and getting back up you know just you know like hey yeah all right got this yep oh wait let me go engage with that thing that i'm not really ready for yet yep boom i've been there but picking myself right back up. Yeah, you well, because what's the other option? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But now, the more you work you do, you get back up faster now. Like, yeah. that's the thing. And the lessons get absorbed uh, quicker. And, like, yeah, you just have to accept that it's not just going to be a straight line. It's just not. And that's okay. That's totally fine. I'm so used to it at this point. I have yet to meet somebody who's had a straight line recovery journey. I don't, I don't think, think it, it exists. exists. 
<laughs> like it exists. Scott, we have a little bit yeah. of time left. I want to hear about how do you practice self-care in your daily life, not just meditation, but like if you were talking to your yourself like 15 years ago, what would you want him to do for self-care? Um, stop drinking. That would be the big one. Like big picture, the thing that is a super glue for depression and anxiety, stop drinking. Yeah, that for, for me, I used alcohol a lot as um, a coping mechanism. And outside of that, like, I've always sort of rode both sides of the coin. Like, I used to drink and smoke pot as, like, my medication. And at the same time, I would also exercise and, you know, like, take vitamins and... Okay, vitamins actually make a difference. They do. Oh, let me me just... So... For vitamins really quickly, and you know this probably living where you live, like the Northeast and the North, yeah. especially, the lack of sunlight. I, I, For the first time I got my vitamin D, I like noticed that something was wrong two years ago in blood work. My doctor was like, your vitamin D is um, really low, like really Damn. low. And she was like, this is actually, we need to get you on like the met, they're like IUs or whatever they're called. But like, she was like, you need like 5,000 a day. I was like, yep. what? And so, and when I started taking the vitamin D again, yeah, my mood lifted and like, it really did help a lot. And when you have a lack of vitamin D and vitamin B12, your mood can really drop. And so when you already have a mood disorder. Oh yeah. <laughs> like up in Canada, like what? Okay. Well, when I was living in Toronto, actually it's weird because Toronto's south of the 49th parallel, but I grew up north mm-hmm. of it and I, and I live now again above the 49th parallel and like you the the more north you are the less sunlight you get in the winter when you get mm-hmm. to the winter solstice the sun where i am sets like 4 4 it starts setting at like 4 p.m and uh yeah, so worst. and i hate i hate the vitamin d pills so i just get orange juice yeah. that's fortified with calcium and vitamin d there that you go makes a difference like, it go. actually does make a difference so anyway, that's a mm-hmm. whole tangent, but so vitamins, vitamins, and vitamins, vitamins, really important and diet too. Like it's it, it like part of this is a lifestyle like, and it's, you have to be healthy, like, um, eating well, making sure you're taking supplements and getting some sort of exercise. Like, even if it's just a walk for 10 minutes, like do like that for me, I love to hike and thankfully the Hudson Valley where I live has lots of trails and you know, I used to do those sunset lives and looking at the sunset over the Catskills, anything. Yeah. Anything I can do to be outside and absorbing sunlight that way, vitamin D that way, that's the best possible option, but there's something, and I love to do it alone. I love to be out in nature um, as much as possible in my thoughts. And I take baths every single night, hot baths, candles, relaxing lavender uh lavender um bath salts aromatics and things like that like anything to like fully like enhance a relaxing scene like stay in that for a while and so like hot baths have been something that i've been doing for the last like six seven years oh, um okay. and cold showers in the morning i've i've always taken cold showers like here and there for the last six weeks i've been doing it every day uh, in the morning and doing at least three minutes under freezing cold water. Okay, wow. 
and that releases like endorphins and you it feels great i gotta say this whole thing has become a fad and i know everybody's doing it but there's something to it it's great and it's better than coffee although i still drink a lot of coffee sounds like just all really there's no magic like weird secret or spell it's just try your best to be healthy and be, be very kind to yourself if there's any magic to it it's in those moments when you want to give up in those moments when you're getting hit with everything mm -hmm. if you just make the choice to believe in yourself in that moment and this sounds i know how this sounds so cliche but it, like it's worked every single time the second you even take one inch forward things will start to align and it's not going to be like boom but the direction that you start to head in will start to come towards you and help you. And in every moment, like if there's any magic to that in the universe, like the second that you make the choice and it's hard when you're depressed and you're like, I just can't do it. But even the smallest thing, not like I need to accomplish that whole thing or I'm never going to, you know, like as long as you keep going against the grain and trying to fight back against what your emotions are telling you there's something and it's happened every single time in my life there's been a lot of things that are just um a little too coincidental on how they've helped it and helped and impacted my life in a positive way so it you know there's that too so what i'm hearing is trust the process exactly you have to be just trust that things are going to work out and like they will and even the bad stuff is is for your benefit in some way it's like i now i'm able to look at that as like oh wow that got me here you have to you have to get the meaning out of it it it's not yes. like the universe planned for it to happen but you can definitely mm -hmm. squeeze every ounce of of learning and, and and bettering yourself out of it like it for me it facilitated massive growth so it's not this it's not this bad thing did this it's you you overcame the bad thing and you did this you did this for yourself that recovery mm -hmm. so you got to trust it exactly it is exactly trust it and and also be grateful as much as you can for as many things as you can be grateful for well i'm grateful that you made some time to chat with me always a pleasure I almost cried at one point. Aww. Thanks, Avery. I appreciate it. It's always good to see you. Scott, you have a good rest of your Saturday, and thank you so much. You too. Thanks a lot. Take care. In the next episode, we're going to talk about challenging the feelings of loneliness that often come up and overwhelm us into distress and despair when you have BPD. A huge part of recovery is building up a support system of people that you can rely on for help and even just fulfilling connections in general, just healing through community. So stay tuned, and thanks for listening. Quiet, not silent. We create a perfect world in our heads. As a matter of fact,